Sure. Let's do it. You do the intro. Welcome to Carney Pie. My name is John Brandt. Tony Purvis. What was your name again? Tony Purvis. <sighs> That's a good name. It's a great name. Have you ever thought about well, like except, keeping that name? Well, the only problem with that name is if you shorten the last name, it's not exactly the most nice name to be introduced by. This. Purvis. So, anyway, uh, we're here for this is Carney Pie. The uh, purpose of this is to get us out of the house and off work on Friday afternoons. That's, is, right, yeah. that's the whole purpose. Yeah. Um, but there's also an added purpose. And what's that? We're trying to figure out what makes Carney special. Why people in Carney do what they do. Why the small business, why the nonprofits, why they are, and w- what makes them tick. Are people from Carney special? Tony Purvis. Carney is special. Mm. I, I don't know what, you know, I think the people are going to be similar, but the people of Carney seem to be banding together a little differently. We, before this started, we've had a lot of conversations about the leadership programs, the different stuff, and the the people of Carney and the way Carney supports the groups is what makes this place special. I don't disagree at all. What do you do for work? I run an insurance agency. How long have you done that? Six years. I've been in Kearney six years. So came in, I was in, uh, went to school in Kansas, moved out to Denver, went to York. Well, my wife, we had a chance to go to either Berkeley, California mm-hmm. or York, Nebraska. And my wife chose York, Nebraska over Berkeley, California. Yeah, it's still a little, I mean, she knows I'm still a little better about that choice. But, and then we went from York and then stayed there for a couple of years and then moved to Kearney. And there's no chance we're leaving this place. Good. Don't leave. I don't want you to. That's fair. And there's people in the room who are also here, and they're trying to be so quiet, and I appreciate it so much. Let's have them introduce themselves. Should we let them introduce themselves? We'll do that. Okay, let's go and start with you. Hi, I'm Nikki Gosman. Hi, Nikki Gosman. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, And who else do we have sitting to your right, my left? Andrew Brackett. Andrew Brackett. Andrew Brackett um, is to my left. Nikki is to his left. Who's to your left, Nikki? The one and only Tony Purvis. <laughs> I love this. Do you like Carney? Do you think Carney's a good place? I love Kearney. Uh, did you grow up in Kearney? I did not. I actually am a transplant. I moved here from Kansas about 20 years ago. And uh, kind of a funny story. My husband and I knew we wanted to move to Nebraska. We got out the map and closed our eyes. We landed on Hastings. <laughs> And my husband actually uh, mentioned it to someone who was from Nebraska, and they said, oh, don't move there. You should move to Kearney. And so we visited, and... Please identify this person. Um, I, I, I don't <laughs> even know who it was. Oh, it was just somebody random? Yeah, just said, you somebody, don't want to go there, or you want to go to Kearney? Yeah, somebody random that he um, helped out at work, and You so, relied on this unknown person. We did. We did, and we are very grateful that we did that. We visited Kearney, and we decided to make the plunge about 20 years ago. So wait, did you have jobs lined up, anything, or did you just go, you know what, we're going? Yeah, we didn't really have anything lined up. Um, we didn't know a soul who lived here. Um, did, I was, did you think Nebraska people were better than Kansas people? Because I had a great, I went to school there. Well, 20 years I mean, ago, our football <laughs> team would have been, but I'm just trying to think. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, I'm a Kansas girl at heart, but I think that, um, you know, part of our reason is my husband's a huge Husker fan. And so I called it. He wanted to move to Nebraska. And so we made it happen. And we have not left. <laughs> well, wonderful. Yeah. So 20 years ago, you get in a U-Haul, like we all did, to get here to Kearney? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what about you? I have been in the Kearney area now since about 1996, so a little over 20 years as well. And uh, I graduated from Holdridge High School, and while I was going to high school over there, I started taking some college classes here in Kearney at UNK. 
and decided to um, continue with a degree through the university here in Kearney and finished my degree um, in 1999 and I have a double major in criminal justice and Spanish. And so, bueno. yeah, 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 it was, it was a fun time. And, um, after I got done with, uh, college, I was like, now what, you know, you're kind of sitting around going, well, what am I going to do next? What and did you do? What was your job? You, you just got out of college and you're like waiting for the right job. What did you do? You know, I was actually, um, just working at my part-time job that I had while I was in college. And Where was it? Do you feel okay saying? Yeah, I was I was waiting tables at the Alley Rose, oh, actually. What a good job. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a great place to work. And Was I, Sean the owner at the time? Yep. Okay, so yeah. you worked for Sean. Yep. So he was always around, and it was a fun time. I and mean, we had a good group of people working there. And Which is the more fun side? Is the bar side, or is it the... Uh, it's got to be the bar side. Right? It's, it's definitely the bar, the bar side. side. It's the bar side's way more easier, fun. right? Well, I don't know if it's easier, but <laughs> I've never been a waiter. I've never done anything in the food service, and I think it'd be the hardest job ever and a, the worst job ever. I think. Oh, I disagree. There's harder jobs and worse jobs. Then I respectfully. Well, okay. Yes. I'm. Let me rephrase that. Hard for the. Nah, you win. I'm Thank good you. With that. Perfect. <laughs> no, I love that. I'm good. That was no, you win. Uh, yeah. The, the subsidiary to really, I, podcast I to really uh, Carney Pie. To try to come up with something there, and I is John wins. Yep, Tony <laughs> loses. Oh, that's a fun one. Uh, Nikki, what was your job when you first moved here? Well, when we moved here, I was actually still going to college, and so I was doing an internship for my social work degree, and I worked part time at H and R Block. What did you do for H&R Block? I was the front receptionist. Did you enjoy that three months out of the year? That is all it was. And yes, it, it paid the bills. It did pay the bills. And uh, so you just worked three months as a receptionist for H&R Block. Which one did you work at in, in town? Or were there two at the time? There was only one. Is it the one by the bridge, then. by the overpass? Yes. Okay. That's the one that was here forever? Yes. Okay. I. It was fun. So you move here, but you're in high school, and this is this is the question I want to know. We have your jobs, we have you and Carney. I want to I want to dive deeper. I want to unpack that some more, and I want to know uh, what posters were on your wall in high school. Wow. Oh, uh, I should I should preface that question. I assume you had a room when I, you I were in high school. Did. did you have a room that you had a bed in that that was your bedroom? I did. And th there was it were, New Kids on the Block? No, but I'm seriously considering going to that concert next year. I, you should. I didn't have any posters on my wall, though. You I, didn't have any posters? No. Okay. I didn't. Did you have an inspirational saying? Did you have a dream board? No, I didn't. Oh, just checking. Did you have a, a cork board? I don't remember that. I At I this had, point, did you have anything on did your wall? You, well, well, let's back up. Did you have walls? <laughs> I had walls. Okay, good. Yes. Um... And yeah, I don't, oh, that's sad. I don't remember. It's not sad. What was on my walls. I remember, you know, I, I was very into music. Um, what music did you like? Stone Temple Pilots. Nice. Dallas and Chains, Nirvana. I love Nirvana. It's Same. like my favorite group. Yeah. That, yeah. that kind of, you know, 90s grunge. That was, Seattle. that's my thing. I, you owned a flannel shirt. At least Several. one. Do you know yes. I've been to Aberdeen? I saw where Kirk Cobain. I saw Kirk Cobain's house that he grew up in. Amazing. No, it's not. It's just a but just a house. Been there. Oh well, no, that's no, no. But but I mean, you go by it, and it's just like normal. that's just a house. And the the house where he like went off on his own. It's like two blocks away. Wow. That's where. And then yeah. like, uh, Chris was a little rich kid in town, and then they. Uh, that's why they practiced there. But Neat. anyway, sorry. Uh, so you like Nirvana? You like grunge stuff? You owned a flannel shirt. Your walls. Uh, existed in your bedroom but they, they were blank andrew what were on your walls <laughs> you got more I was, time i was actually um really big into coin collecting when i was in high school and so i actually had framed prints of like abraham lincoln and coins from every year up through like 19 so where do you find these coins like do you go out like have, like how did you actually find coins at that point because that was before you'd have bought them on the internet right right yeah so, you would there were public auctions that would take place okay. where you could go and you're in high school doing public auctions yes i love auctions were you like the so, young person there yeah no 
to carry on, I know this about him. Ask him about his lamps. <laughs> uh, Tony this, says, this, this I'm continue, supposed to ask you about your lamps. This will continue on about the coins. <laughs> What's uh, the deal with your lamps? Well, I, I have purchased some very exquisite lamps at auctions, and uh, they've been quite... Um, We're talking like five-figure lamps. Five-figure lamps? Yeah. Five-figure, like... Okay. With like two digits, a comma, then you go three digits. <laughs> so are of, some of them decorated with coins? No. So do you still collect coins? I still have my collection, but, but I haven't done anything with it since 19, probably 94. Would you be interested in my lamp? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing. <laughs> it's, it, uh, it was $10 at Target about 15 years ago. Nice. Um, so lamps... And what else did you do? You go to auctions and then find stuff, and that's what you did. I did quite a bit of auction hunting when I was in college, and um, refinished furniture and just. Oh my! Flipped. You would have been like prime time, like late nineties, right? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we we would go out to auctions and um, buy all kinds of stuff and drive it around to different um, antique stores in the area and market products. And I did a lot with the antique market back in those days. Yeah, that would have been... Do you have a Quonset full of stuff that you purchased at that time? No. No? Okay. Do you wish you did? <laughs> no. No? <laughs> um, okay, so we got uh, jobs. We got posters on the wall. We've got lamps. Uh, oh, I didn't hear what posters. What posters did you have on the I wall? I never had any posters on my Just wall. Just the Abraham Lincoln coins. Yep, yep. No posters. Okay. What was your first car? My first car was a 1958 half-ton Chevy pickup. Really? Step side. Yes. Was it a, a, what, H? H on the floor? Mm-hmm. I'm, am I pronouncing that wrong? I've got no idea. <laughs> uh, stick shift, of yes. course. Oh, and, yes. Okay, because did they even have automatics? I don't know. I'm not a car I drove guy. a 97 Saturn. I apparently didn't care about cars. I drove a 99, or a 92 Probe, Ford Probe. Ooh. What was yours? Nikki, I'm looking at Nikki. Yeah, it was a little Toyota hatchback, and I had to share it with my older brother. And when he would come home from the army, like it was automatically his car then, and not my car anymore. And it was challenging to share. Okay, so you have this great <laughs> weekend planned. You got fun stuff, gonna go out with your friends, and then he shows up. Right, friends got to take over and drive, and. Ugh. I'm sorry that happened. I know. It was tough. So there's nothing on your wall. And then when your brother comes home, you don't have a car. And, right. she, and she was in Kansas. And you True. had to live in Ooh. Kansas. We both were in Kansas. Yeah. You were both in... Wow. So, How yeah. interesting. Where were you at in Kansas? You, I grew up in eastern Kansas. like Southeast? Um, No. I can pronounce east. Olathe. I know that. Yeah. That's good. That's all I know. Where that's were you at? John. Thank I, you. I grew up <laughs> about 45 minutes from Manhattan. But I, and that's where I went to school. So keep walking me through just because now I'm curious. Uh-huh. Okay. So I grew up in Onega. It's a really, really small town, like 800 people population. So you really didn't need a car because you could have walked everywhere anyways. Well, pretty much. But, okay. you know. I I wouldn't have walked. I'm just saying you could I wouldn't have, have Okay. Yes. No, but you drive around. You go on gravel roads. Yes. You do things that kids do. You go look at the moon. Do they still cruise? Do they still go up and down? In, the this t- in this community? Yeah. I don't believe so. I don't think that's a thing anymore. Once gas went over $1.50, I don't think they decided over. to do yeah. that anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. Andrew, did you cruise? I did. I would get in the car because I was living in a small town in northwestern Kansas by the name of Brewster, which was right off of I-70 between Goodland and Colby. And uh, there was nothing to do there. It was a town of 300 people. And so my friends and I, we would get in a car on Friday, Saturday night and drive 20 miles down the road to a larger community. And we would cruise because that was the thing to do. And you just you meet people, you have adventures, you get in fights, you chase people. I mean, is that that was my experience (laughs) cruising. I don't know if that's similar to yours. You know, the highlights, the things that stick out to me the most about all of those trips are the number of times that we drove back home in my friend's Trans Am at speeds over 100 miles an hour just to get home by curfew. Smart. Yes. (laughs) Nikki, do you have children who can drive cars? Not yet. Not yet. And (laughs) does it freak you out, the thought that they might be driving cars the way that you perhaps drove or rode in cars when you were 16? I really hope that my children will act more like my husband did in his youth than mine. What did did he... uh, he just it was a hard worker. He studied. He was a good kid. He was a good kid. Yeah. See, I was supposed to be a good kid, too. 
Um, so <laughs> we we cruised, we passed the time, we grew up. I think we should introduce our guests. What do you think? Go ahead. You want me to do yep, it? Go ahead. Okay. We know your name, but we don't know what you do. So now is the time we figure out uh, what each of you do. We have Nikki Gosman. Yes. Thank you. Did I say it correctly? Pretty oh. pretty good. It's almost like I asked you how to say it before we did this. A little bit. And uh, now you run a, uh, and I'm assuming you're the director, executive director. Is that what they call it? Correct. And you're the direct executive director of the Safe Center here in Kearney. And how long have you been doing that? I have been the director for 16 years. 16 years. And what is the Safe Center? The Safe Center is a nonprofit organization that for 40 years has provided services to people who have experienced domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, stalking, and human trafficking, and also providing information, awareness, and prevention to the community. How did it start? The agency started really with um, about three volunteers coming together and recognizing that there was an issue of domestic violence and sexual assault in our community. So advocates, I'm assuming at the time, being like, this is a big issue, we need to do this. What what year are we talking? Right, 1978, um, the organization officially started. So a few years before that, volunteers were gathering and, and recognizing that there just weren't enough resources for people in those situations. And something like this, it's not like the issue didn't exist Correct. before 1976. But was it, was it more acceptable back then, or was it, is it... Did it change? Has it changed? Your mission changed or the stigma of it or any of it changed in those 40 years? I think there's been a lot of changes. And, and I think a lot of that has been because there are organizations now to help people who have been through that. Um, there's just more community awareness. There's more national awareness on those issues. So I think that has changed what we do immensely. Did the Me Too, speak of the national movement, did, that, did you see a spike with that it, locally? Because I've seen the news where it's despite nationally, but did that come in locally? I don't know that we've necessarily seen a spike as just we are consistently busy. Um, I think that it has allowed people to feel more comfortable to come forward because it is something that we're talking about nationally now and people recognize that there is help available. The worst thing you said in there was that you're constantly busy. Yes. That is... It, Carney does a very good job of putting the blinders on is what I've always felt. It, it does a very good job of we're very good at isolating and hiding. Um, this town is clean looking. Everything's just, I don't see that side. And so that's one of those things that I always want to kind of know a little bit more about because I don't see that. And so it, it's much more prevalent though, isn't it? It is very prevalent. And, and I think, you know, part of that reason is because it is still a small community. I mean, you know, we have people come here from Franklin and they're like, oh, I'm going to be able to hide in Kearney because it's so big. And we're like, yeah, no. I mean, you know, you go to the grocery store and you run into five people that you know. Um, it's hard not to, to to do that. It's hard to be anonymous um, and and hide for your safety if you have to. Um, you know, it is, it is sometimes covered up, those issues of, of homelessness and and when we see those things out in the community, it's it is kind of shocking. Um, I don't. Sometimes I think that we do those things to protect ourselves. Um, sometimes it's because they are hard to talk about, um, and that's part of the reason that we're always appreciative of opportunities on a national level and on a local level to talk about these issues because they are happening um, to a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that don't feel like they can speak out yet about what's happening to them. The issue that you brought up of maybe hiding it or something, Tony said that. Is it hiding it? Because I, I don't like the word hiding, I guess. Because hiding implies like you're trying to get rid of it. And in this instance, well, there are some aspects of that that, we're, that I think the community would be trying to get rid of. But as far as helping individuals who are suffering from that, I think the reason it's not out in in open on front lawns, things like that is because there are maybe, maybe good organizations that people can run to in this community 
there's there's a pipeline, I guess, to uh, to deal with that issue if you're suffering from that that problem. Whereas with uh, other things, you might not. So maybe there's better services available in this community as opposed to hiding something. Is that fair? Or I guess yeah. And I I wasn't necessarily speaking on this specific, but it's the homelessness, it's the drug. It's this town is not. There's other towns within 30 miles that have a different reputation that we do. So this has always felt like more of the cleaner the and it's it is cleaner it is very nice but we also do a very good job it's just it's ice it's more isolated here i think and just you don't see it as much here as you do 30 miles away and that's what i meant by hiding it it wasn't not a conceit we're not shoveling under the rug so you, nobody knows it's there right it's just a, it's just a different feel so it's 1976 uh three individuals decide or am i right on the year the agents were formed in 78. 78. So, okay, yeah. so around so, yeah, that time. So, that. so I'm trying to think on a, like a national <laughs> level, like my frame of reference for this time period is just so horrible. Do you know it's Ron Burgundy? That's what I'm going to in my head. For, really? For <laughs> <laughs> trying to decide uh, like women's movement uh, into, you know, I guess the workforce. There were all these big issues back then because I take it for granted. I'm a 90s dude. Like I grew up around that time and it it wasn't necessarily hard. I always thought of women as equals and that's to, to try and go to that mindset uh, in like the late 70s, early 80s is difficult for me. So there were issues. Um, there were issues at that time and it probably wasn't spoke about. It probably wasn't. You were probably supposed to hide it. You probably were not supposed to talk about it publicly. And um, these advocates, these I would call them heroes, probably decided that, you know what, I'm done hiding it. I'm done pretending it doesn't exist. We're going to do something about it. So what did they decide to do? Like when you have a problem like that, how do you say, okay, this is the right solution to that problem? Yeah, I think their opportunities really did come from, you know, the, the civil rights movement, um, and, and really women really making a difference in the sixties and, and forging ahead. And I think that in the early seventies, there was just that recognition that this is going on and there, there became, um, just a greater awareness of those issues. Um, they came together, they decided to create a crisis line. They had volunteers available. So what's a crisis line? People could call 24, 24 hours a day if they needed help and they would, talk to them they would meet them and listen to them um and so it's three in the morning something mm -hmm. bad is happening in your house it's 1979 mm -hmm. right and there's no real there's no cell phones right. you can't text somebody you can't put it on blast on facebook and say something right your your lifeline is literally a phone line into your house and you know that number because you saw it where would you see it a grochery store something right. posters just, out in the community somebody would have handed you a card paper and then it's three in the morning and this is happening and you're saying i'm done right and then you get on the phone and you call somebody i'm assuming a volunteer who just has that number routed to them or sits at the desk or yep they they had pagers they had uh yeah the phone routed to them and and they would they would talk to them and and shelter them if needed. And what, what would happen? I mean, would it be client? And I don't know whether you call them clients. What yes. would you do call them clients? Okay. So would it be client driven to the point of I need X assistance? Or would you say, okay, this is going to, this is what it's going to look like. We're going to meet you at this back door in five minutes and you're going to be there and you need to just don't worry about taking anything with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to keep you safe. I think it's both ways. And I think in many ways, it still is that way. Mm. Um, you know, there's that balance between here's what we can do. Here's what we can provide. And this is what the person is telling us they need and how they can do it safely. You know, they may not be able to get out right this second. They may be able to get out tomorrow at three o'clock. Um, so the, I think and you would make arrangements to help them. Right. Okay. Right. It Walk us through that situation now that I know it's different on every one of them, but you would, you'd shelter them locally. You'd show like now, do you shelter them locally or how does that, 
I'm confused a little bit on how kind of that you guys step in and, and take over from there and help out. Sure. Um, just on a side note, I, I think it's really interesting. I can remember uh, Captain Bob Anderson from the Sheriff's Office uh, telling me, he's told me this several times through the years, that before the organization was here, if someone really needed to get out of their house, if they were in danger, their children were in danger, the Sheriff's Office would take them and that family would spend the night in the lobby of the jail. Mm. Like there were no other resources. They had to I'm sleep. a seven-year-old kid. Yeah. I've been dealing with horrible things all my life. Right. And my mom finally decides to do something about it. And because of that, I'm sitting in jail in the lobby. Yeah, because there's no other place to go. Mm. So, you know, that when you think about that, it's just a horrible situation. And and so it, that, I believe that's some of the reason that those volunteers came together sure. to make sure that there were more options. So so they got, I'm assuming, someplace better than a, a police lobby. Yes. Okay. Um, so many years ago, um, late 80s, early 90s, the Safe Center was able to purchase a shelter. And so we've been able to maintain shelters in the Kearney area um, since that time. And... We really leave that up to the client as far as their safety. Um, if they're going into shelter, um, it's usually an emergency situation. They don't have another safe place to go. They can't stay with family. They can't stay with friends. And Okay, so do you game plan, process, thought tree with them? Okay, who are some family that you could, you could go with? Yes. Who are some family that you can trust? So you just go through that with them to help them. You know, think so through the. You process. normally have the right. steps. It's not an an immediate. Is there? I mean, sometimes I'd assume you'd have an immediate get out right now, but normally it's a even calculated it's, deal. Even when it's immediately get out right now, we're still having those conversations because we want people to go where they're going to be supported. Shelter is a hard place to be, even though our shelter is a comfortable home environment. It's still communal living. You're still living with other families there who have gotten out of difficult situations. So if they're going to be safe with family, with friends, that's what we want them to do. But if they're not, definitely shelter is an option. Or we will help them go to other communities, to shelters there. Um, If they have family in other communities, we'll help get them there because safety is the primary concern. Is there a shelter gap in Nebraska? I mean, are there areas that, you know, you have to travel 100 miles to get to a shelter? Well, definitely. You know, the agency in North Platte serves all the way up to Valentine. Oh, wow. But there's no shelter in Valentine. The shelter's in North Platte. So, yeah, definitely there's, there is that, that difficulty, especially in the more rural er- areas. Um, but even, even for people here, you know, sometimes transportation is an issue. Um, sometimes their partner has isolated them. Um, sometimes they just they don't know what resources are available, and so it's difficult to to get out when they want to. And you serve um, not only Kearney, but other communities as well. Right. We also serve the four counties to the south of us, so Phelps, Harlan, Franklin, and Kearney counties. And they can call a crisis line. I mean, pretty much anybody can, right? I mean, you would you would work you would do the same. Thing you would do with someone from 25th Street that you would do if somebody called you from Valentine with the same problem, I'm right. assuming. Right. It yeah. would just be different solutions. Exactly. Yeah. Is the problem different in the smaller community? Is it? Do you see it? Is there a difference between the Carney ones versus, say, the Franklin ones or the smaller town? Is it a? Is it different? Do you do you treat it differently just because it's it's just more? I mean, just such a smaller area. I think there are, there are some differences. You know, every community is different. Every community responds and reacts differently to issues. And so it is tough in some of those smaller towns because there, there is more of a community environment. They know their neighbors. They know everyone around them. They know the person that works at the grocery store on the bank. Whereas in Kearney, sometimes we may not be that familiar with everyone because we are such a growing community. So... There's that difficulty of, of wanting to maybe reach out for help, but not wanting everybody to know what's going on. I mean, when your abuser knows the sheriff or has yeah. ties, because small communities are run by uh, people. And uh, if they know and have any sort of power in that community, you know, you can be uh, pretty connected. And I think that's intimidating for anybody uh, in that situation to, to try and get out of, because not only do you have to you know, address, try and address the problem yourself 
to and to choose to want a solution but you have to say i'm probably going to have to move i'm probably going to have to give all this up and to know that there may be consequences that you haven't thought of yet when you step out and say this has happened to me i've been assaulted by this person or i'm being abused in my relationship there are unintended consequences that may come from that that are hard to think about but safety is so important in your uh, you've been doing this 16 years yes in your 16 years has a stigma that's maybe been attached to uh, victims has that gone down is it more accepted as far as good for you as opposed to uh, maybe not um, I mean is it are they met with skepticism or is it always um, I guess has it has it progressed to the point where people are validating and helping victims as opposed to questioning or being skeptical of victims. Has that changed at all in your 16 years? I think definitely it has gotten better as far as people being accepting. Um, but I, I think with, um, you know, things happening on the national level, it's very difficult to, um, I think it's hard a lot of times for people to realize that, uh, this is a hard topic to talk about when it happens to you. And, if people are admitting that that's going on in their lives, that's pretty impressive for them to bring that up. It's it's a tough thing because you don't know what response you're going to get. Nikki, let me tell you about myself. I very much want to talk about that elephant that you're not talking about, but I can't talk about that elephant. Yeah. Because I want to talk about that elephant, but I'm not going to. How do you get your funding at the Safe Center? We are funded primarily through grants. Um, federal, state, and local grants. We are also a United Way agency. Has there been a, a, does your federal grant funding, does that change depending on administration at all? It does. It has changed a lot over the years. Um, And so that's always tough for us. Um, And so we do have to make sure that we are doing fundraising to help supplement that because we don't know year to year what that federal funding is going to look like. Um, And also just uh, really, we rely a lot on the support of the community. Um, And so it's important for us to to be a part of the community, to be proactive and and listen to people's concerns. We know that people are sometimes on either side of the issue or right in the middle. And so we want to make sure that uh, we're listening to people, we're getting their feedback, but also um, recognizing that uh, we do have a lot of hard situations coming in every day of, of people that have been abused for a long time, people that have just been assaulted, and they're experiencing some serious trauma in their lives, and we're there to help them. And the community support makes a huge difference, whether that's just saying, I believe you, whether that's, you know, bringing in paper towels or toilet paper or diapers to help those people that have been through that trauma, help them learn to heal and, and knowing that the community is behind them in their healing process. So it's twofold. One is money and, and you're a nonprofit. You want money. There's nothing wrong with that. It helps what we do. You have to, you know, to further the cause, if you believe in the mission, if you believe in the purpose of it, it has to be funded. And that's part of it. But the other thing that I think is interesting is the community support aspect of it. It's the uh, maybe the daycare uh, getting together and getting diapers and then donating them to you. Mm -hmm. And and that uh, knowing that they're there for you, knowing that they thought of you, knowing that that somebody is there to help. I think that's that's an interesting um, maybe social capital, if not financial capital, that's probably of value to you as well. It definitely is. And I think that um, <clears throat> throughout the years, it's not just those, those community businesses that um, show that support financially, but it really is stepping up and working together. Um, it is, you know, working with other small businesses, other nonprofits. It's working with law enforcement and county attorneys and and other organizations to come together to figure out what can we do collectively. And I think that is really an asset of Kearney. That's something that I value a lot when I go and, and talk to my peers from other communities that even though we may do things a little bit differently here or we may um, not always agree on everything 
people are coming together and they're finding solutions. They're trying to figure out how they can help and what they can do to make a difference to make this community better. Perfect. Uh, well, that was the whole point of the podcast. Right that, there. <laughs> I mean, you, and we're done. Was, let's, that let's was put the it up. actual That's point it. of the you podcast right there. Uh, you got to it. Uh, how do you get, what's the main source of your funding as far as community uh, uh, events or fundraisers or things like that? What's the main source? Our main source, um, really twofold, is really just uh, community donations coming in from different businesses, churches, organizations. You also sell um, purses every year in the spring, right? We do. That's that's really our thing, is yeah. our purses for a purpose that we have in April um, every year. This will be our 15th year, I think, next year of doing our our silent auction and live auction that is mainly And you've been there purses. 16 years, right? Yes. So you're... First year on the job, you started purses. planning. You, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yes. you were booking it your first year on the job, pretty much, and you've ran it for fifteen consecutive years. Right, After, that might be the most impressive thing I've heard because <laughs> getting yeah. that signature fundraiser and then building it and keeping it going for fifteen years is not an easy thing to do. Uh, she needs a yeah. break. That is that is impressive. <laughs> she needs a break like we do. Luckily, I have some very supportive and creative board members and have had those throughout the years. And good so, answer. That's a good um, answer. Again, it's community support. It's people coming together and Absolutely. making things happen. Well, it's time to take our first break, our only break. Uh, we have no sponsors. So we're just going to listen to Henry Mancini for about 30, 40 seconds. And uh, then we'll come back and talk about some more fun stuff. Hey, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. Hey, there we go. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Oh, you'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Oh, okay. I could listen to that all day long. I actually have no idea what we were listening to. I feel bad saying that. I have no idea what we were listening to. You've never you've never heard this awesome song before? Doesn't it just make you want to have a mojito and sit by a beach I do. in I, 1957 it's, in, a, it's in awesome. an old truck? A 58, what was it? Chevy 8 with an H? What did you call it? Andrew. I got nothing over there. <laughs> okay, well, we're back. That was our first break. Of the first show of the first season of the first uh, time we've recorded this. Um, only going to get better. Yeah, right? I didn't think we did terrible. No, no, that was fine. I mean, I, I felt like it wasn't terrible. It, was good. it, it, we it helped that we had it. a very good, very good guest. She was better than the host. Oh, Nikki. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was easy. You guys were great. Oh, man. Well, Give we're not done yet. That's, oh, that's all. Uh, no. that's, Andrew, you are the second, the second guest. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, we want to know what you do now that we're going to formally introduce you. So uh, this is Andrew Brackett, right? That's correct. That's correct. And Andrew, uh, what do you do in the community of Carney? Oh, wait, real quick. Do you love Carney? I do. Good. Uh, what uh, do you do in this community that you love and that everyone in this table loves? <laughs> I uh, actually am one of the owners of Kit's Kitchen and uh, Calico Coffee Company. That is so many like C-sounding words. It is. So what's the difference between Kit's Kitchen and the Calico Coffee Company? So the difference is, is Calico Coffee Company is our roasting business that we have. 
And Kit's Kitchen is the coffee bar that serves the beverages. Okay. So what do you roast? Oh, we have beans from all over the what world. What kind of beans? They're nice beans. They're, Are they're these good. Coffee? Well, let me let me let me backtrack. <laughs> I, think, I think he was looking for coffee. I, I I know it's coffee, but it's coffee beans. Yes, I've never seen a coffee bean like for real. Like, you know, a coffee bean is actually green before you start roasting it. So, where do these beans uh, come from? Um, we get the beans from various different farmers um, in other countries. Could you grow beans in Gibbon? Coffee beans, um, if you really wanted to. You you probably could if you had a decent greenhouse where you could control the temperature. Oh, so it needs to be warm. Yes. they Typically, coffee beans are grown along the equator line, and so they're in warm regions and also mountainous regions as well. Okay, but mountains are cold, right? They can be, but if you're along the equator, then they still oh, have very still mild... still warmer than Gibbon. Yes, okay. year-round. So you're just... It, it's a great place to visit, let me tell you that. You've been? Uh, well, I went to Costa Rica earlier this year and visited a coffee farm down there and got to meet the owner and took a full tour of the entire facility and the process that the beans go through. I actually went out and picked coffee beans in the coffee field with the workers and had my own basket that I strapped around my waist and went out there and picked beans for a couple okay. of hours. Okay, wait, what oh. do the beans look like on the tree? They're they're like a cherry. It's just a little bit smaller version of a cherry. Are they green on no, the they're, tree? They're red. Well, they're they red. can be green, they... but usually when they're ripe, they start turning red. See, so do, do you squeeze them out? Do they have a machine? How do we get to the coffee? I want to like... go to Costa Rica first. <laughs> okay, can I that's fine. But, I wanna, and, but when we do, I want to go. <laughs> Henry Mancini is on my brain. I, I want to go from start to finish afternoon. in that process of how do we? I want to from... be in Costa Rica. All right, let's go. Costa Rica. You have a Spanish background. What does Costa Rica mean? Costa Rica. Now you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> Ooh, Rich Nikki. Coast. Is she right? Rich Coast? I had two right? years yeah. of high school Spanish. Yeah. Rich so, Coast? Yeah. Rich Coast. Four years. Four years. <laughs> I'm the only, In air I'm high the only five. one with the Spanish. I am part Mexican, and I was the only one here that had no idea what the answer was to that. For Costa Rica? <laughs> I, not a clue. Interesting. There so are some go- beautiful beaches in Costa Rica, well, and the weather is... It's it's like no other. What are we doing here? Um, because we love Carney. Because we love Carney. Ah. <laughs> Curses. So you get on a plane. You say, uh, pilot, take me to Costa Rica. You go get down to Costa Rica. You get off the plane, and then you are part of a group, or are you by yourself, and you're saying, uh, show me where the coffee beans are, sir? Um, actually, I traveled there with a business partner of mine who okay. has been buying coffee from that particular farm for many years now. For uh, For themselves or for other people or how are they buying yeah so the individual that i work with um, that purchases all of the coffee that we have in our shop actually travels around the world to all of the different coffee farms he was actually um he grew up in costa rica so he was a costa rican immigrant to the united states and he immigrated here about 30 years ago so he's helping people yes back where he's from yes he's going you know i got all this coffee down there Mm -hmm. and there's Lots of these Americans who love coffee. Yes. And and they have money, and let's get it down to Costa Rica. Yep. So he started working with the farmers and uh, bringing their products to the United States and uh, started working even more in other countries with other farmers as well. And so he he basically does all the direct trade and brings everything directly to the United States. What's direct trade? Explain that for me. (laughs) You know, I mean, direct trade means that you're basically cutting the middleman out who was in the past doing a lot to, you know, bring the beans here to, um, could I say oppressor yeah. financial oppressor? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I mean, a, it's a, it's a dude going, I can make a buck off these guys. Yep. Right. Yep. And they're saying, uh, how am I going to do that? Oh, I know. I'll, I'll say that I'm giving them something of value when I'm really probably not. And then I'll sell it for a thousand times more to other people. Mm-hmm. And this direct trade, what does that do? You know, really, um, the individual that I was working with decided that he didn't really like the direct trade movement because he still felt like there were middlemen mm, in the way. Many. And so he actually started a movement called More Than Fair Trade and created his own logo and started working directly with the farmers, bringing their products here, 
making sure that they were paid a fair wage for the beans that he was buying from them and bringing here to the U.S. So do you buy directly from the farmer then and he just helps facilitate or do you buy from the broker who's going down there? Yeah, we buy directly from the broker that goes down there, but he is hand selecting and we have access to all of the farmers that are growing the beans so we can actually sit down and have a direct conversation with them. I actually have phone numbers for them. I can FaceTime with them. I can talk to them on the phone right now. I could call one of them and bring them into this cast. You know, I mean, it's Please. just really, um, <laughs> it, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, the connections that you can make. So what's the advantage of knowing the farmer? Like does, does weather, does, uh, you know, uh, certain environmental factors, does pollution, does everything go into the taste and flavor of the coffee at a certain point? Or like, I'm trying to, I, I understand the fairness and it makes it taste better because it's fair, right? I get that. But I'm wondering if having that direct access to a farmer might actually also increase the, uh, the beneficial nature of the product. I think that um, one of the interesting things about coffee is that there are different varieties of coffee that farmers can grow. And so it's really important for the farmer to um, grow a coffee that is going to do very well, that they can enter into competitions just like I almost compare it to like a bottle of wine Mm. or drinking wine because you can go buy one bottle of wine off of the shelf at the store and it tastes one way and you can spend $50 on another bottle of wine that has a completely different taste, whether it's good or not. Um, But it has a lot of variations and fluctuations in the way that it can taste. And the same is true with coffee. Um, You know, one variety of coffee may be really, um, it it could give off more of like fruit notes and um, be very um, just sharp on the backside with citrus notes. And the next one could be very, um, you know, just really dark chocolates and things like that when you roast it up. And so because of that, there are so many different varietals of coffee out there that, the possibilities are endless. And what's great about their shop is they will list that out for you when you go to order it. So you have, this one has a hint of this, this, and this. This one has this, this, and this. And so you can kind of find your flavors in there. Okay. So I've noticed that down there. They do a really good job of explaining what you're buying. You're not just buying a medium roast. Like I would at Folgers, which is in my coffee cup. Which is, I'm so sorry I'm that you sorry. just said that. It's true. Oh, it's terrible. I well. <laughs> It's uh, utilitarian at certain points, you know? I mean, it's like, okay, it's 6 a.m. I've slept for four hours. Uh, I completely disagree with okay. everything you just said right there. <laughs> That's fair. Tony, you win. Tony, say, there we go. You Not win. I give up. It's, it's scoreboard's time. You, We're you, good. You win. Uh, so these different flavors of different beans, like wine or I'm thinking craft brewery kind mm-hmm. of beer. Or something Absolutely. Like that. Anything like that has nature and uh, different types of plant varieties, you can achieve different types of flavors, different types of notes, and that incorporates into coffee as well. Sure, absolutely. You you mentioned chocolate. There's a chocolate kind of taste at some points. Yeah, I mean, you can get a wide variety of background flavors as you're drinking coffee from... From just the coffee, not like, you know, some other maybe larger chains that just put Hershey's syrup in it or something like that. No, just the coffee itself can have a lot of inherent natural notes and flavor profiles that can come out in the coffee and price can dictate that too so i mean if you've got a coffee that is let's just say geisha for example it is geisha geisha is a type of coffee it's a it's a higher end um coffee what makes it higher end it just the quality of it the taste of it it's far superior to your folgers coffee that you're going to be drinking every morning so insulting my folgers coffee i am sorry (laughs) we'll insult that all day if you just okay but you can pay as much as 80 to 120 dollars for a pound of geisha beans um, from a local roaster how much okay i'm i'm not good at math you'll have to forgive me so you have a pound of beans that you paid how much for it depends on the, the variety. Okay, in the market, yeah, the geisha. I, I mean, you could pay fifty or sixty bucks a pound. A for pound. That. So how much? How much coffee do I get out of a pound of geisha? I'm assuming raw. Yes. Okay, raw geisha beans. How much coffee am I getting out of that? Are you talking like after it's been roasted or like yes. cups of coffee? After it's been or okay, let's let's start with. Uh, let's just go cups. Make it easy. Let's just go okay. cups of coffee. Thank you for it'll making be, it it'll easy. be easier. Yeah, it'll be easier for me. <laughs> cups of coffee. How many cups of coffee am I getting out of a pound of coffee? Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> Now you're going to put me on the spot. I well, mean, no, yeah, I you're going to get quite a few. Okay. A week's worth of a heavy drinker? 
I, you know, we have folks that come in who buy a pound of coffee. Some go through two pounds of coffee every week. Yeah, so. I was say, it, a pound won't get you through a week. If you're a multiple cupper in the morning, a pound. What's won't a multiple get you. cup? Let's let's break that down. You, you do the two, three, four. You know, the yeah, two, three. And you just kind of constantly have it yeah. in the morning. Yeah. You're going to go through a pound a week, but you're okay. not buying fifty pound, fifty dollar a pound when you go down to the shop. It's the. I'm sure he'd like me to. Would you like me to? I've never seen that bean down there. <laughs> I would. Buy, I mean, you don't. You don't carry that bean though down there. No. No. What's, we okay. What's the bean that you carry? You know, we bring in a lot of arabica coffee, okay. um, which is kind of a, a nice middle of the road. Typically, the majority of coffee that's grown uh, is arabica in nature. Um, but the farmer that I mean, let's say the one for example in Costa Rica that I went and met with. Um, he enters his coffee into competitions on a regular basis, and he actually won the Cup of Excellence this last year. The with Cup of Excellence. The Cup of Excellence in coffee <laughs> with the Terra Zoo coffee that we have. And we have that particular varietal of coffee in our shop. So, Terra I mean, Zoo? Terra Zoo. That's the region in Costa Rica where and it's he won. he won a major award, a he cup did. of yeah. a coffee cup. Yes. He won the coffee cup. Yeah. What what's the name of it again? I forgot. The cup of excellence. Cup of like excellence I'm going to use that in other in <laughs> other things in my life other than coffee. Just so you guys know. Oh, Tony, you earned that last name. I did. Um, th- so the cup of excellence. Um, he wins that, and then you have that variety in your shop right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if I come down and I say uh, I would like a I would like a pound of that, will you roast it for me? Usually, we. Um, so part of the process with roasting coffee beans is is that. Um, once you roast the beans, they come in green right? and our roaster that we have in our shop will do about 15 to 20 pounds of coffee at a time. That's usually what we stick with, uh, in our roaster and we'll roast those beans up. There's going to be a little bit of moisture loss, which obviously it's heating. It's being rotated inside of an iron drum inside of there that heats the beans up. And when it's done roasting coffee actually goes through what they call off gassing. And so for about three days, they say coffee is not all that great to drink uh, after it's been roasted. So it's not like we're going to roast the coffee and then go scoop a handful of beans and put it in the espresso machine and you're good to go or the coffee pot. You have to let it sit for a couple of days. Hmm. So if you buy a bag of coffee at the store and you see that there's a little, um, I don't know what they call those, the gasset or whatever inside of the bag. that Oh, yeah, the little the, the the black air, nub thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's inside of the bag. Yeah. Those are there for a reason because it's putting off that gas. And if they bag that coffee and it's too fresh, that gas can actually cause the bags to explode because cool. it would build up inside of there. Now, so. now, after three days, does it still keep off gassing? So do you, do you have to worry about having that it can after to, a while? It can to some degree, but it obviously diminishes greatly after Good, about Because I use mine in a sealed container. That's why I was asking for a specific <laughs> reason on that question. Yeah, yeah. So no. walk through your – so you roast your own beans. Mm-hmm. Every, you get them green, truly get them green in your shop, and yes. you roast them. Yes. Walk through the difference in your roasting versus – the Starbucks or the scooters or whoever, because there is a, if you've ever, have you ever felt a Starbucks bean? No. Feel a Starbucks bean, go feel one of their beans. They don't, How they do, don't okay. feel the same. I, you just I want buy, me to well, go up to a barista and say, yes, let me touch buy, one of your beans. Be a little classy and grind your own beans in the morning. Have a little uh. fun with your coffee. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to get you some. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> so, okay. So I go up to the barista. I say, can I touch one of your beans? Well, and they say, here, here's a bean that you can touch. And I'm supposed to touch it. And then what am I supposed to learn from that? There's greasier. I mean, it's always some of those, they, they, they come out. If you see on the inside of their um, machine, like their big bean machine, yeah, you'll see a residue. Okay. His are di- like, they're just a little different down there. Well, and part of the thing is, is that when you're roasting coffee, when you take it to a certain degree, if you take it past that edge because you want a dark roast, it starts pulling the oils out of the inside of the coffee bean. So he's feeling the oils. Yeah. So there's you're seeing the oil on the outside of the bean. I don't want the oil on the outside of the bean. No, you don't. Okay. You, I mean, you can if you want. That's what you're shooting for and you want a dark roast coffee. Um, but the coffee does not stay fresh very long and it actually diminishes the quality of the coffee once you've extracted those oils out of the coffee. So if you go to the grocery store and you see the the big vats with the beans lined up in them and you're always like, oh, I want the shiny beans there. Well, they're roasted very dark and all of the flavor profiles and the notes that you're going to find in that coffee um, are going to be very similar and characteristic because once you take that coffee bean past a certain point, 
it's just kind of a burnt tasting coffee and the flavor notes and the profiles and all of that that are in the beans are gone at that point. If I'm going to sell coffee beans, I'm going to take my worst beans and I'm going to make the darkest roast I can out of them, right? You could, yeah. I mean, it, it, wouldn't that be the thing? Like what you do, you yeah. I take the old bananas, I make some banana sauce or something. We go bread like normal people. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do banana sauce? Is that What's not a thing? Banana sauce. <laughs> Banana sauce isn't a real thing. <laughs> I was thinking of apples. But I said bananas first and we ran with it. Okay, so you have a business that sells, uh, I can get the roasted beans. And now tell me about your roaster real quick. What's your roaster like? Because you promoted that on your website, I noticed. And it seems to be like the premier roaster. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, the roaster that we're using in our shop is a ProBat roaster. And uh, it is pretty much the premier um, Cadillac when it comes to roasters that are used out there. Is it like American or like specific it's, from somewhere? It's German made. German made. Yeah. Okay. So, and honestly about seven out of 10, um, seven out of 10 cups of coffee in the United States are roasted on a probat roaster. Andrew, what do you love about your job? I get to see people every day, watching people make connections with each other in the coffee shop um smiling grandma yeah yeah you know just people connecting with one another and you know we have done something where we have connected with people on a global level and we bring that connection back to people in the carney community and on a local level we use that product that we have done through making connections with people in other countries to bring local connections here in the carney community that's similar to what nikki said Weird that that happened. And so, we didn't even talk. And we didn't even did talk no, ahead of time about it. on that one. But that's exactly the same thing. But I want to. I want to learn more. So we have these German roasters. I can go into your shop and I can get coffee, of course. Mm-hmm. I can get all the accoutrement that comes with uh, coffee. I could get a scone if I wanted. Correct. <laughs> we have pastry items. Pastry available. items yes. available. Okay. Yes. And then you said that uh, Kits uh, is now a kitchen. We're or, working on a commercial kitchen uh, in the space currently. What kind of stuff are you going to sell me? Is it uh, all going to start with C? No. Or a K well, sound? <laughs> we are going to have crepes. Crepes! <laughs> You're going to have the big thing with the crepe? Yeah. There's no place to get a crepe in this town. I know. So I'm. Carney could use a crepe. Yes. Are they going to be Carney crepes? I, they could be. Carney crepes. Um, do you know what a crepe is, Tony? I know what a crepe is only because of Talladega Nights. <laughs> Do you got, I mean, you know what scene I'm talking about, right? Where he bends his arm, where he breaks his arm. That is why I know what a crepe. Have I ever had a crepe? No, I okay. know what it is because Will Ferrell taught me. So we have two Will Ferrell references in the first, the first uh, episode. So okay. it's only going to get better as we go. So okay, so we've set the bar. It has to yep. be at least. I'll, two. I'll probably do John C. Riley the next time, and then that's good. The that's worst fair. one is when I go to Adam Sandler. Then we're just going. We're get not going to do. I know that's what <laughs> no, I'm saying. It's no, just going to get worse <laughs> when we go there. So you love connections. You love uh, connecting the people to your coffee. You're going to start a kitchen that will sell crepes. What other? Uh, when? 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 When is that going to happen? You know, um, we've been actually working pretty hard on the kitchen in the last couple of weeks, and uh, the hood just went in this week for the kitchen. And uh, we're waiting on some materials and supplies sure. to come in, obviously. But, um, you know, everything is moving along very smoothly. I'm well, hoping that we'll have some things up and going here. You're doing the work yourself, though, right? Well, I have, Most done, of it. I have done some of it myself, but I recognize that I have a lot going on. And, you know, that project is bigger than I am at this point. And so I have done some of the work on it, but I do have a team of folks working on Did it Did you as do well. the majority of the the building renovation? Because half the the fun of going down there is it's probably one of the... Oh, where is he? We didn't even say where oh, yeah, are you. Down, yeah. <laughs> Go, that's on you. I'm downtown Kearney, um, you know, 2001 A Avenue. So we're just down on the bricks right next to the railroad tracks. And it is a pretty cool building. Um, when I bought the building um, eight years ago or so, um, it was all office space with lowered drop ceiling, kind of like the room I'm sitting in with lots of fluorescent lights. Let's not describe the room. (laughs) There were very few windows in the space as well because they had been covered up over the years um, just out of simplicity of trying to save on utilities and uh, things like that. And when I purchased the building, 
Um, I really didn't know what I was going to do with it long term, but I kept thinking there has to be a better use for this building than renting it out for office space. There's all kinds of different places you can go in Kearney to rent office space, but an old historic building that has all that character and charm underneath the surface, you can't replicate that. So your dream was not to own a coffee shop. You didn't have the intention. You buy the building, you know you're going to renovate it, and you're putting in a coffee shop. That was not your intention. No. That so how did, how did you get to that point then? You know, I think it was just kind of a process of, you know, what would we do with the building? What would it be good for? How could the building be utilized and have more potential than it has? And be something that the community can really enjoy. A law office, absolutely, is yeah. what I wanted it to be. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's you've done remarkable things for it. It's a beautiful place, and uh, I'm I love going in there because it feels uh, not necessarily not- fancy, but it feel it feels homey in like an old timey way. Like your grandpa is there to give you some coffee that's really good, and and you know it's good because you watch the across the street. They do the same thing. You know they oh. you know they they do it because of that building. I always thought that's how McHugh's got into that shop is the updates. Across, okay, yep, the updates. The kids they saw the potential and down there. You're not talking about the railroad. No, we're not talking about the okay. railroad. Good. Okay, so we've talked about your connections. And bringing connections from the rich coast of Costa Rica all the way to Kearney, Nebraska, and their crepes that are forthcoming. This is, oh, this is recorded in October of 2018. So when do you think maybe you'll be ready? You know, I hope and expect that we'll be able to start um, introducing some food to the community in the next couple of months. I think just like the coffee business, it's going to start small and we'll gradually add things as we're able to. Um, so if, it, if it's October 2019, when somebody's listening to this, go down and get a crepe. Basically. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So the community brings connections to you, Nikki, right? It does. It definitely does. And, you know, I was just thinking as Andrew was talking that um, we've had a project over the last year that we call our Indulge Card. And... Um, we're, we're selling those for half price right now. They're $25. They're good until April 2019. But kids So if you're listening to this after April 2019. We'll have another one. They'll have another one. Okay, go Yeah, ahead. but Kids Coffee um, what is a sponsor on that, mm. and they offer a discount on our card. Um, you know, that's the kind of connections that we make. Like, you know, Andrew and I have known each other for a long time, and, like, it is. it is. It's just some of those natural connections, and... And my staff and my board members, we go down to Kits every once in a while to have meetings there because we want to support local. We want to build each other up and and just be supportive of each other so we can keep growing Kearney. And and I think that is that is what makes Kearney unique um, is the desire that if there was a problem with either one of your businesses, I want you to know I think there are people in this community or, or your nonprofit, I think there are people in this community who would instantly step up to be supportive of you and to instantly step up to try and help you in any way that they could. And I think that maybe is different than in some communities who are a little bigger where there's more competitive nature. And then um, if, because if there was another nonprofit that had a similar mission, there might be a competitive little spirit about that. But because we are the size that we are, like if you support that issue, you support you. I agree. I think that is something we've seen in the past and that's a huge benefit um it it is about relationships and people coming together and and not being competitive but seeing what's what's there for the greater good what can we do to help people what can carney do better that's a great question thank you it's close to my last one (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i think that's that's tough i think that uh you know, there's always room for growth. And I think that as uh, community members, community agencies within Kearney, we just have to continue to talk about what the issues are, how we can work together, how we can partner, um, and just continue to learn from each other and make this a, a great place to live. I think learning, for me at least, and one of the points of this from my standpoint, is to, I always knew the Safe Center existed. Right. Always. I, I knew vaguely what it did, what it did, but I didn't know why it did what it did. I didn't know how it did what it did. I don't know, you know, kind of the ins and outs, the people that it helps. And it just in my 
progression in, in my business. I, I see that and it gives me a new appreciation for it. And I think learning more about you and learning more about you, you can figure out what those shared interests are because there's things that you're not competing on. There's things that you both have in common, like the card that you spoke about, right? right? He wants people to come to his coffee shop and he wants Mm -hmm. to support you. Right. That's a shared thing. It's a win-win. And the more of those we can find, the better Carney is. Definitely. Andrew, what else you got? What what can Carney do better? <laughs> I don't know. I think Nikki kind of summed it up well. Um, you know, I, I How, okay. Can Carney helps small business? Um, if I may, I be so bold as to call you a small business in Carney. Sure, absolutely. Okay. And and so, how does Carney help small businesses? And is there anything that Carney can do to help small businesses succeed better? You know, I think that the community does a really good job of encouraging growth and new businesses here in the community. Um, the university here in town uh, has a number of students in the business department who are constantly looking for projects that they can help. Have you benefited from that, Nikki? All the time. From... It's the secret sauce for this community, I think, too. It yeah. is. It's not it's banana great... sauce. It's, it's not banana sauce. sauce. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name for the show is banana we sauce. Might, we might okay. be changing it. No, no. This this particular program is no, banana the sauce. the whole thing. So the, the, the secret banana sauce is uh, UNK and that people who need projects to do and can look at and in marketers uh, business administration people can say i mean you benefited from them how did you benefit from them well you know they had a lot of resources and information available um you know they pointed me in directions of places that i could go to access um grant funding and just other community resources that would be beneficial and helpful to the growth of the business and developing that and making that happen here in the community. So, you know, the community just, you've kind of got to wrap around the people that are there and the the vision that they have and really bring that home and say, we want to support this because it's important to our community to thrive, to um, show people even here in the area that these businesses are important to us and making them successful. The final word will always go to Tony Purvis. What I learned today is that we needed about another hour on each of these two. I, I I don't think we even scratched the surface of either one of the businesses. I think we that, scratched. We, I mean, just barely. But <laughs> there I, was a little. Scratching. I mean, it was. It's so much fun learning about them, and I would like to just keep going on both of the businesses and learning more about how the actual process work. How your how you differentiate between the four hundred and seven scooters and Starbucks that are down the street from you. All of that would be, I mean, just this. If was somebody great has, a, if somebody has a question and and they they're like, oh, well, I heard you on this thing, and and they called you up, would you be like, okay, I'll, what's your question? I'll be happy to talk to you. Are you are you willing to speak to anybody that would come and ask you something about your organization or something about your business? And we're both shaking our heads yes. here. <laughs> yeah. This is a audio medium. We have to say things out loud. Uh, so if somebody did want to uh, scratch deeper. There you go. Then we scratched. That was, that was good what a wording. Violent, uh, what a great wording. Good uh, job. Thank you. Um, that's it. Anybody else want to say anything? No, just thank you. And sure. I think if you you feel like this didn't scratch the surface, I think both of us, yeah, would be mm-hmm. very willing to have you give us a call. We'll come back and do another one of these. If Guys, you want we, us. this was yeah. this was great. We had a blast. Yeah. Thank you both. This was honestly way, I mean, this was a blast. This went way better than I thought it would Way go. better than he thought it would. Great. That is the last word right there. Way better. Way better than I thought it would with banana sauce. <laughs> <laughs>